Well, good morning, Community of Faith. I don't know if you caught this particular line, but in the very first song we sang this morning, there was a line that stood out to me in, our, in the first service, and it was this. It said, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. I started processing that as I considered the direction that we're about to head in this new teaching series. And I was thinking about this. Why do, why do we say that? Why would that be true? Well, as Jesus followers, people of faith, maybe you're not there yet, that's okay. But I think it comes from this idea that God is good and that we can trust him. So I wonder what that means for you as you think about that. God is good and I can trust him. Do you think God is good? And are you willing to trust him? Because I think it is possible to believe that he's good, but not trust him with our lives. And I think it's also possible to think that he is good, but maybe not good for us. So the question I would ask today is, when you hear me say that, God is good and you can trust him. How do you feel about that? Do you have questions about that? Does it create some tension for you? I would assume that in a room like this, and even with those that are watching online, and this might be the reason you're, you're at home by yourself watching online, is that you've walked through some difficult times. You've walked through a season or a time of suffering where things have been incredibly difficult. Maybe it's a, a diagnosis. Maybe it's coming to the reality that a spouse said to you recently, I'm done, I'm moving on. Maybe it's a teenager that said something to you like, I hate you, I don't want you to be my parent anymore. Maybe it's a chronic physical pain, bankruptcy, or maybe, maybe it's nothing for you personally, but as you look around the world and you see innocent people suffering and walking through difficult circumstances, or you see innocent children starving in different places around the world, you begin to think to yourself, if God is good, I don't know that I even wanna answer that I can trust him yet because I'm not sure that he's good because I see some of those things and we experience some things and that creates some tension for me. So what I want us to do is I want us to, to pray into that tension before we jump into today's message and pray that God would help every single one of us, no matter where we are, get to a place where we know how to get through that suffering that we experience. Whether you're in that suffering right now in this moment, or you're in a place where things are actually pretty good and maybe you're worried that you're on the doorstep of some significant suffering. And so it's, it's a difficult idea to celebrate and enjoy the good times because you're fearful of the bad times. So let's pray into that as we jump in today. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that we get to gather in this place. And even as I reflect for a moment on your goodness and what that means for me personally, what that means for us together as a group of people, God, I pray that you would help make that very real to us. Would we be able to clearly understand it? Would you refresh our memories to your goodness, to your love for us, to your compassion for us, to the idea that you chased after us, you came after because you wanted to be near? God, would we experience that today as we spend some time focusing on who you are and what you want to say to us today? I pray that in our suffering, in some of our most desperate days, that your goodness would be so real to us. And then right now, will you just pray wherever you're sitting, maybe you're watching online, would you just pray right now, just ask God to speak to you, not to your neighbor, not to your family, but to you. Ask God right now, say, God, just speak to me something clear in the next few moments. Then I pray for me. 
ask God to give me the words that we all need today, that he would be heard today and not Wes. God, we love you. We trust you. We thank you for today, this opportunity to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are jumping in to a teaching series this morning called Ever Wonder Why. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna be looking at real answers to some of life's most difficult questions. And the question that I want us to start off with today, which is why I set our time up together the way that I did, is this question is, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? If he is good, and we are supposed to trust him, then why do difficult things happen in our lives? And I think it's an important question to ask because it's also, I believe, the number one reason that people wake up, walk away from a belief in God. They walk away from their faith. I would say this to you this morning, your thoughts about God are the most important things about you. How you see him, how you understand him, what you think about him impacts everything in your life. So I think it's an important question to start off with as we dive into this series. And you all have sent in some incredible questions, some fascinating questions, some questions that I don't have any answers to. So Mark's gonna teach on all of those and uh, we'll have some fun with that. But it's an important question to focus on today is why does God allow suffering? A couple weeks ago, I saw a comic stand up from the comedian named Ricky Gervais. And he is uh, not just a comedian, he's an atheist comedian. He doesn't believe in God, he doesn't believe that God exists. And he said this, somebody asked him one time if he ever prays, and this was his response. Why would I ask a God to help me find my keys if he stood and did nothing during the Holocaust? Now, I think that's a valid question. And I think God is okay with us asking those kinds of questions. And maybe that makes you uncomfortable, but I want you to know it's okay to, to have those kinds of questions. It's okay to not be okay because we all land in a place at some point in our lives where we walk through some really difficult days that forces us to ask some difficult questions. So as we answer this question, why does God allow suffering? I think we'll see three things, three reasons why. The first thing we're gonna see is that God allows suffering because it brings up critical questions about life. And then it makes room for God to work. And then ultimately it shapes a better version of ourselves. And we're going to see this as we jump into a story in John chapter 9. We're going to go back a couple chapters from where Mark and Laura taught last week. They were in John 11, talking about the story of Lazarus. We're going to talk about the story of the man that was born blind. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and it says this. It says, and Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, I, I highlight things sometimes, and the reason is, because I know some of you have a hard copy of your Bible with you, and maybe you like to underline or highlight. These are important pieces of information in these verses that I think help us understand what it is God wants to teach us today. So that's, I, I, I want those things to kind of stand out at us. It's important for us to understand he was blind from birth. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the idea of suffering, I don't know that I've really stopped and paused right there before and considered this isn't just suffering, but this, this is pointing to a story of suffering for a child. From birth, this child has been suffering with not being able to see and experience all that sight brings to the human life. That's suffering. And it's one thing to suffer, but it's another thing to endure suffering as a child or to observe and watch a child suffering from something. 
But that's, what's, that's, what we're, that's what we're kind of seeing here. So Jesus shows up. He was walking by. He's with his disciples. And it says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now, isn't that an interesting question? Here they come up on the scene. They see this man who's been blind his entire life. And immediately the disciples began to ask a question. And as they ask the question, the question reveals their idea of why someone might suffer. Maybe this myth. They believe that maybe his parents sinned and the cause of his blindness is his parents' life, the way that they lived before he was born. He's suffering the consequences of their life and their choices and the direction that they decided to live. I think we have some myths that we consider when anybody or ourselves finds ourselves in a place of suffering. One of those myths is just that if we would just do everything right, then we'll be all right. It's kind of that idea of karma, which doesn't come from the Christian faith, by the way. But it's this idea that if I, if I just try to do everything the right way, if I try to, to do everything and follow the moral standards of the day, then my life is going to be okay. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be, everything's going to be fine. And then we also find ourselves in a place where we begin to think, well, if I'm suffering, then maybe I need to start confessing. It's the idea that maybe the suffering and the struggle that you're walking through is because you have sin in your life. And I want you to know today that as I talk about the idea of suffering, I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I'm talking about suffering that we experience that's not a result of choices that we've made or suffering that we've brought on ourselves. It's suffering specifically that um, we have just experienced because we live in a broken world. And so sometimes I think we get to a place where we think even the suffering we experience that's not a result of ourselves comes from the sin in our lives. I had a friend in college that used to always joke around with everybody. If you told him you had a headache or you didn't feel bad or you couldn't find your car keys, he would just say to you, you probably got sin in your life, bro. You might want to go to pray about it. And so now I say that because it's that ridiculous. And I like to tell people that when they tell me they don't feel well. I'm like, man, you probably got some sin in your life. And, uh, you know, let's talk about it. That's a little bit ridiculous. So that's not, that's not true. That's not how life works. Or maybe it's just this idea that when they're suffering, it's important that even though you're suffering and the consequences and the devastation of that suffering can be significant, but, but listen, always look for the silver lining because there's always a silver lining. There's always a light at the tunnel. Just keep looking for whatever that is. That's incredibly dangerous. It's also very misleading. Now, it can be true sometimes because it, it might be true that maybe there's that car accident that woke up the alcoholic to understand the implications of the lifestyle he was living. Or maybe it was the, the devastating breakup that took place that nobody wanted at the time, but it led to a healthier relationship down the road. So those things can kind of happen, but I don't think we can look at all suffering in that way. So these disciples are asking this question, and you see by the way they ask their question what they think about anyone who may be struggling with some sort of suffering in their life, some sort of pain in their life. And they ask this important question. They're basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, why, why, why is this happening to this man? Why, why has he been blind his entire life? Which I think shows us the first thing. Suffering brings up critical questions about life. You've ever been in a place like that where you literally just said, God, why? Why is this happening? Why am I having to walk through this? I think we've all been there, and if we haven't been there, we'll probably be there at some point where we do begin to ask the questions, and we're like, God, if you are all-powerful, if you are all-knowing, 
If you are good, then why are some of these things happening? If you do have all the power, why don't you have the power to stop this evil, to stop this this suffering that I am experiencing or that I'm watching happen across our world? Why aren't you doing something about this? What they're asking specifically in that verse is they're saying, God, if you're so good, then why do bad things happen? Specifically, why have bad things happened to this man? Why is he blind? And I know for many people in our culture that I've had conversations with, and you've probably talked to, and maybe some of you, this is where you're at, and I'm okay with this. I think it's why you're here today. Oftentimes, we ask that question, and we stop. We stop at asking the question. And if we don't stop at asking the question, we just come to the resolution that God doesn't exist, or that if God does exist, he simply doesn't care. And if he doesn't care, then why should I care? And I just want to gently push back on that a little bit. I wanna get a little philosophical for just a moment. Because if that's true, and you find yourself in a place today where you think, you know, I I just don't know that God even cares. I'm not sure that God even exists. Ask yourself, does does that logically solve the problem of suffering? I think it actually creates a bigger problem. See, because if you find yourself in that place, then as you look at the world and you begin to think about the world without any sort of outside influence, outside standard of morality to judge what's right and wrong, what's good or bad, and you're looking at the world around us, then you just have to come to the conclusion that this is just what it is. And so as you look at the evil and the suffering and the corruption, you think about the diseases, you think about the, the things that happen, the natural disasters, you just think, well, this is, this is just it. This is, this is as good as it gets. And I think there's got to be something different because if that's the case, then there's no moral standard. Well, that doesn't doesn't match up because the world we live in, the society you live in, the culture you have grown up in that has shaped your life does have some sort of moral standard. But where does that come from? You cannot have moral law without a moral law giver. So maybe you're here today and you find yourself in that place where you struggle to think that God exists, or you struggle to think that God even cares and is interested in us and what's going on in this world. And if that's you, then think about this. Then as you look at the world, you look at everything happening, if everything just happens and it's just the way that it is, then you see there's stronger people in the world, there are weaker people in the world, and as you think about that, is it okay that stronger people might take advantage and create suffering for weaker people? Is it okay that stronger nations would attack and invade weaker nations? Is it okay that stronger people groups would try to take advantage or exploit weaker people groups? Is it okay that men around the world would use their strength to take advantage of women for their own satisfaction, for their own gain, exploiting them? I think we would say, no, that's not okay, but if that's where we land, thinking that there is no existence of God and there is no moral code, then what we're saying is that that is all okay. You see where I'm, where I'm going with this? To begin to think that way doesn't make the problem better. It doesn't make the problem go away. It complicates the problem. See, what Romans 8.20 says, it says that all of creation was subject to futility, was subject to chaos, to disorder, to frustration, that all of creation is experiencing that. Everything in the world is experiencing that that reality. Why? 
but because the world is not as it was originally designed to be. It wasn't created to be this way. But God, when he created the world, he created the world to be good. He created life with no death. He created food with no weight gain, no obesity. I mean, he, he said, you eat, and everything was gonna be good. Everything was gonna be perfect. I, I, I sincerely believe that when we get to heaven one day, that vegetables are going to cause you to gain weight, and ice cream and bacon are going to help you lose weight. That's just what I believe, because that would be the perfect world for me. Anybody with me? I mean, anybody like, yeah, bring it on. Throw some, throw some chocolate fountains in there. Get me some, you know, yeah, this is, and now we're talking. Chocolate, you just had to talk about chocolate fountains. Everything was good. No disease, no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no grief. And to top it all off, icing on the cake, God said to him, be fruitful and multiply. And every married Marvin Gaye fan says, hallelujah, amen. It was good. It was perfect. But God created you and me. He created us. He created humanity with a choice. He created us with free will. The idea of free will is this idea that you and I get to choose what we love. We get to choose what we do, choose what we pursue. And so God gave us the ability to choose. And we had two choices. One was to choose to love God and serve God and know God and exist in this relationship with him, this perfect relationship. Or we could choose to rebel against God and his created order for humanity. And we know how the story goes because we've all participated in it. We chose rebellion. And the result of that rebellion is that creation is subject to futility, to frustration, to disorder, to chaos, to suffering. Where does that all come from? It comes from our rebellion. God didn't create the world to be this way. God didn't create suffering for us. It's not what it was supposed to be. I think it's important for us to wrap our minds around that as we continue on to kind of understand, then why suffering? Why, why does God allow this suffering in our lives? This is the question the disciples are asking. They're like, God, why, why do you let these bad things happen? And he continues on. Look what he says in verse four, or verse three, I'm sorry. He says, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned, so he, he squashes that myth, that idea, nor his parents, so he's saying, hey, listen, the baby didn't sin, the baby didn't do anything to cause his blindness, his parents didn't do anything to cause his blindness, but this is the reason. He says, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Underline that, highlight that, write that down if you need to. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is an opportunity. This suffering is happening on purpose. On purpose, you, you ask yourself, why, why the depression? Why the miscarriages? Why the incredibly difficult journeys of infertility? Why the cancer diagnosis? Why the suffering? Why the pain? Why the heartache? It's gonna happen because it's part of the world that we live in. But what if it's an opportunity for something good? See, I think that's what, Jesus is trying to say to his disciples, he's wanting them to see something. He says, we must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's talking about himself because the world is dark. Every single one of us experienced this darkness in our life and Jesus has shown up into the darkness. And when light shows up in the darkness, you can't help but notice the light. It pushes back the darkness. There's a contrast. That contrast brings clarity as Jesus steps onto the scene. So there's suffering going on. Jesus, 
the light of the world, is speaking into this suffering specifically for this man. I think what he wants the disciples to see is simply this, that suffering makes room for God to work. He's saying this is so that God's work would be displayed in this man's life, in this man's circumstances of suffering. This is, a, this is an opportunity for something of value. Notice not something that's easy, but something that could be valuable. And as I was processing this, I, I wanted, I, this just kind of came to my mind, and I want us to focus on this, especially if you're a parent today. Or maybe you're somebody that has some kind of influence over the next generation that's coming up. I, I have this fear that we may be raising a generation up with an obsession to protect them from suffering. And I think it's part of our responsibility to protect our children, to protect those that are coming up. But I also think it's a responsibility of ours to help them understand suffering, to let them be exposed to suffering with a balance because there's something valuable in suffering. I read this a couple weeks ago. I don't know who wrote this. I don't know where it came from, but it simply said this. It says that weak people create, I'm sorry, good times create weak people. Weak people create tough times. Tough times create strong people. Strong people create good times. My fear is that as we try to protect our children from some of the heartache, from some of the pain, from some of the struggles and the suffering that that are a part of human life, that they finally get to a place where they begin to experience some suffering on their own and they don't know how to handle it. And so the enemy is sitting there waiting in their weakness to pull them away, to deceive them, to drag them off. Because if he can't get to you, he's going to go after your kids. So I think it's something important for us to pay attention to. My wife is a high school counselor in the Cypher district. And she was just telling me a couple nights ago, she goes, I don't know that I've ever sat and actually counseled as many students as I am counseling right now. Why? there's some struggle going on in our world and it's difficult. And I think even in the perfect sense of parenting, our children still need counseling at times. So it's not to diminish that, but there's something going on. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to this. Suffering can be an opportunity for something good, specifically for the work that God wants to do in our lives. Think about it this way. How many of you have had a massage before? You think about that. Specifically a deep tissue massage. I told you before that when I get really stressed out and anxious, I start to carry that anxiety and, and, and stress all in my left side of my body, up in my torso, my, my shoulder blade in the back, and I get these major knots. And for years, people told me, hey, you need to go get a deep tissue massage. It'll make you feel a lot better. So I finally went and got one. It was terrible. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. Number one, it's just awkward that another human being is just rubbing their hands all over you that you don't even know their name. Like, that's just kind of weird to me. And then they start using oils and stuff, and it's just like, all right, hang on, we've got to draw the line. But it was painful. I was like, man, if anybody else was inflicting this kind of pain on me outside of this setting, I would, I would try to take them out. And they're like, don't worry, you're going to feel better. No, I felt worse the next day. My body hurts. But you know what? After a couple of days, I started to feel better. And I actually started to feel better than I had felt in months prior. See, that pain actually brought something of value in my life. It's why people go to counseling. But it's also why when you get into counseling, those first several weeks or first few sessions, you begin to unpack some of the difficulty, some of the pain. And a lot of people quit then because it does get difficult. 
but there's value in the pain because the pain leads you to a potential in your life that you haven't been able to experience because you haven't walked through the suffering. You haven't seen the opportunity for God to work in the suffering. Same thing for exercise. When you exercise, you're inflicting pain on your body so that you can be stronger. I've heard it said this way. When you exercise, in 30 days, you'll be able to feel the difference. In 60 days, you'll be able to see the difference as you look in the mirror. And then in 90 days, you'll be able to hear the difference because people will begin to take notice. But it all happens as a result of inflicting pain on your body, exercising and breaking down those muscles so that they'll rebuild and be even stronger. This is the idea of suffering in our lives. You're like, well, God does that to us? No, God doesn't inflict the suffering, but he knows that we live in a broken world that's gonna bring suffering. And so in the suffering, he begins to work. He begins to choose to do what only he can do in those opportunities. It's an opportunity for God to work specifically in our lives. Maybe this is beginning to shape a new perspective. That's been my prayer, is that we would just have a new perspective over suffering and pain that we've experienced in our lives. Suffering is an opportunity. It makes room for God to work in our lives. Look how the story continues on in verse six. It says, when he had said this, he spit on the ground. Now, I just had to pause right there. I, I appreciate this story. And I also think that Jesus probably would have been a really, really good student pastor. Because student pastors do bizarre things. I know because I used to be one. And you can take a student pastor out of student ministry, but it's hard to take the student pastor out of a student pastor. Like sometimes we just did crazy things. We would make kids do nasty things with food and sharing food and sharing things. It's like, man, why, why did we do that? Well, because Jesus did it. WWJD. I mean, listen, if your three-year-old starts to spit in the dirt this afternoon and rub his hands in it, you're like, hey, dude, listen, knock it off. Stop doing that. That's disgusting. I got to imagine in that moment, the disciples are like, Jesus, come on, man. And he's like, hey, I'm the Lord. Peter's probably like, uh, hey, hey, John, do you want to tell him that this is kind of whack? Like, if this guy could see what he's doing right now, he would not be okay with it. But Jesus does it anyways. He does something bizarre. He doesn't do this in a way that anybody else would. He has a unique way of doing his work. So he spits on the ground. He makes mud from the saliva and applied the mud to his eyes. Listen, if you spit on the ground and you take that mud and you put it on my eyes, we're going to fight. Now, you're probably going to win the fight because I'm not a good fighter, even though I can see just fine. Jesus does this bizarre thing. Look what it says in verse 7. Then he says to him, to the man that's blind, who's got saliva and sand all over his eyes, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he left and washed and came back seeing. The best verse in the story is later in verse 25 when this man is sharing his story. And he says, I know this happened and I know that I am the man who this happened to because I once was blind, but now I see. A miracle has taken place. But why did it take place? I mean, he could have sat there with mud on his eyes for the next week. It says he got up. He took Jesus at his word and he went and did what Jesus called him to do. He didn't allow his disobedience to prohibit the miracle that Jesus wanted to do in his life. In his suffering, Jesus wanted to do something powerful, significant, that began to change him. And then you see as the story continues on, he continues to tell people the story. Here's what I know, that as you begin to experience suffering, oftentimes when you begin to understand that it's an opportunity for God to work in your life, then the, the misery that you're experiencing becomes the ministry that you get to be a part of. 
the pain that is impacting your life becomes a platform for you to begin to speak about the goodness of God and how you trust him. You begin to take the struggles that you, that you have and it becomes the story of your life that Jesus is rewriting for you. It's an opportunity for God to do the work that only he can do in your life. He says, go wash your eyes. And it made me think about this question. What, what, what does the answer to this question look like for you? What suffering has God allowed for your benefit? And maybe you can look back on your life and you can see things that have happened and you're like, okay, I didn't know at the time that that was gonna be valuable and it was really difficult, but now looking back, I see that it was good. And we probably all have some experiences like that, but I wanna point back to something that we can all share. There was a time of suffering that benefited every single one of us. And it happened when a good man, not just a good man, but a perfect man named Jesus arrived on this earth He left the comforts of heaven to join humanity in a broken world. He was born into poverty. He was probably made fun of and mocked because he had daddy issues, because people were like, man, Joseph's not your real dad. Like, where's your real dad, huh? I mean, I'm sure he grew up with some of that because kids are ruthless. There's suffering that comes on as a result of that. His friends abandoned him. His family disappeared. He was falsely accused, he stood on trial, and then he was sentenced to death, and he went to the cross, and he chose suffering, even though he didn't deserve it. Why did he do that? Because he knew that the wages of sin is death, and even though he had never sinned, he knew that every single one of us had. We had participated in the mutiny of sin in this world. We had contributed to the futility of creation. So Jesus did what only Jesus can do in my place and in your place, and he went to the cross. And even in the suffering, Jesus became better because he wasn't just the good, perfect man. He became the rescuer for you and me so that in our suffering, there is another opportunity. There is an opportunity for God to do the work in our life. This is the message that God wants us to hear today. As the story goes on, this man begins to get asked questions and people are like, man, who are you? And and where's the guy that was blind? He's like, man, I am the guy that was blind. He's like, they're like, no, you're not. There's no way. You couldn't see, now you can see, you've gotta be somebody different. They completely dismissed the work that God had done in this man's life. So they just kind of had this conversation and they called his parents in, they called his friends in. They're like, hey, what is going on with this guy? And they're like, I don't ask, don't ask us. Like, hey, he's old enough to answer for himself. Don't don't look at us, because they were afraid to respond to the Jews. And here's what's interesting, and I I think it's important for us to understand this because I think sometimes we believe that as we trust Jesus, then life gets easier. But do you notice what happens? God does a miracle in this man's life through Jesus and the spit and and, and the mud, and his life doesn't get easier. I mean, I'm sure that when he had the ability to see, he probably think, he probably thought to himself, life is gonna be great. Life is gonna be perfect for me now. He had lived a life of loneliness, I would assume. But yet, Even though God was working, he finds himself lonely. They all abandoned him. They all walked out on him. But look how Jesus responds. Verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had put him out. He heard about it. Why do you hear about it? Because he cares. He understands. He he hears about, he knows about, he knows what's going on in your life. But notice what he does. It says, and upon finding him, wasn't like he was sitting at the local Starbucks and all of a sudden the blind man walked by He's like, oh, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? No, he went and looked for him. He went to pursue him. 
because he had compassion for him. He loves him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He asks him a critical question, maybe the most important question for every single one of us today. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? This is an important question. He's asking the guy. Notice, the guy had never seen Jesus before. Jesus left after he put the mud on his eyes. I would too. (laughs) He's never seen Jesus. I wonder if he recognized his voice I mean, I would think that he probably does because if, you, if you're losing one of your senses, all your other senses are even greater. And so I wonder if he recognized the voice and started having some sort of intrigue. Verse 36, it says, he answered by saying, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He's, he, he's, he's looking. He's looking for the answer. In verse 37, it says, Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, I believe, Lord. Powerful statement, but an even more powerful response. It says, and he worshiped him. At first, I highlighted this because I thought this was the important part of this passage. As I thought about it more, I said, no, this is actually the most important because there's action attached to what he believes. It's why so many people last week decided to take that step of baptism. Jesus wasn't just something we talked about believing. It was something that we responded with our lives to. That's what he's calling us into every single day. It's a journey of faith, trusting him, worshiping him, investing everything that we are to trust him and his plans for our lives. Why does God allow suffering? Well, he allows suffering to bring the critical questions about life to the surface. He doesn't leave us there to just ask the questions. We begin to look for answers. We begin to see that he's making room to do the work that only he wants to do in our suffering. It's an opportunity for something significant. And then as we do that, we see that, he's suff- that suffering shapes a better you. This man was in a better place than he was, but he still wasn't in the best place. Sometimes God chooses to do things and miracles in our lives that we experience and we get to be a part of here on this earth, but sometimes we live the rest of our lives longing for that best version of ourselves, knowing that it's in front of us, but unsure of when it's going to happen. I want you to understand that to To be human is to suffer, but to know Jesus is to be healed. And you may not experience everything that there is to be experienced by being completely healed by Jesus, but as you begin to trust him, you begin to take on experiences and circumstances of his healing in your life. I know that some of you are wrestling with some significant hurt, some significant pain that you did nothing to bring upon yourself. It's overwhelming. It's debilitating. You struggle to get through the days sometimes. I know that it's real, and I know that it's difficult, but I do believe, because of what I read in Scripture, that God wants to work even in that suffering, and that he does care for you, that he is good, and that you can trust him, even though you don't feel like you can. I want to land with this verse, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Romans 8, 28 says this, It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, I think sometimes as Jesus followers, we get this wrong because when somebody goes through a life-changing crisis, this is what we wanna do. We wanna buy them a coffee cup. And it says, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good. But listen, when, when that person lost their life or when I got that terminal disease diagnosis or when I walked through that difficult relationship breakup, whatever that circumstance was, that's the last thing I think I wanna hear in that moment. But I also think we, we, we dismiss what this verse is really talking about. It's so much more than just keep looking for the silver lining, keep looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything's gonna be good eventually. 
There's so much more to this. He says, work together for the good to those who love God. If there's nothing else you've heard me say today, please hear this, that in your suffering, God is working to make things, work things together for your good, but there's a catch, there's a condition. You're like, wait, I thought God's love was unconditional. It is, but you have to choose to love him. You have to choose to walk away from the rebellion that you and I have participated in that has caused the futility of creation on this earth. It says, for those who love God, to those who are called according to what? His purpose. And see, oftentimes in church, we stop right there. We stop at his purpose. And we don't realize what his purpose is. What is he talking about? He's talking about this. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So much packed into that verse. There's such a powerful understanding as we begin to see this. God's purpose in all things, in all suffering, in all good, is to make you more like his son, Jesus. He doesn't just want you to have better circumstances. He wants you to begin to take on the image of his son. Because when you and I begin to take on the image of his son, there's nothing better for us, even in our suffering. It's so important to God that he's willing to risk your life to save your soul. He's not interested in our bodies. And we can become consumed with our bodies. I mean, that's why we have all these surgeries and operations that we can do and Botox and, you know, all the things. I mean, we, we, we are obsessed with our bodies. And listen, if that's something you're like, man, that's me. I'm obsessed with that. I'm not shaming you. Like, you keep doing that. But listen, the grave always wins with this body. He's not interested in our bodies. He's interested in our souls. He wants to rescue your soul. It's why he sent Jesus to suffer. Like I said earlier, Jesus was better for it because he didn't just suffer. He became our rescuer so that our souls could be saved. He's not just interested in your health and your happiness. He cares about you and he cares about you for all of eternity because he wants to exist with you in all eternity, but that's a choice that you have to make for yourself. And maybe it's in the season of suffering that you found yourself in, or maybe it's on the doorstep of suffering that's going to show up tomorrow that he's trying to get your attention and say, trust me, trust me. I know it doesn't make sense, but you can't just keep sitting here thinking that I don't exist or that I don't care and just think this is just, this is it. That's not the best option. That's what Jesus is helping these disciples see in this moment. There's going to be a day where it is all going to be complete, and it is all going to be good. There won't be any more sickness. There won't be any more dying. There will be no grief, no sorrow, no pain. There's going to be two people looking for unemployment benefits in heaven, doctors and pastors. So keep me in mind when we get up there, I'm going to need a job, all right? I'll scrub toilets if I need to, all right? Why? Because suffering will be non-existent. We won't talk about it anymore. It won't be an issue anymore. I think Craig Rochelle sums all of this up really clearly when he says, the good news of Jesus actually helps make sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the suffering that we experience. God is good, and I can trust him. God is good, and you can trust him. That doesn't mean that this week, you're not going to be surprised by something that makes you think, what in the world? God, why? Why is this happening to me? If you love me, then why am I experiencing this? Even this week, my wife and I, 
A very close family member on my wife's side of the family is walking through a really difficult time this week, is receiving some really difficult news, a potential incredibly difficult diagnosis that could significantly change some things in her life. You can pray for her. Her name's Nikki. If you remember that name, just pray for her. God knows all the details. He knows what she needs. But man, it's been overwhelming just thinking about that. And here's the reason why. It's like, where did this come from, God? What, what happened? What, what, what did you do? What did she do? What, what did we do? What, what caused this? Why is this happening? Yet here I am this morning teaching on why does God allow suffering? These are difficult days. Difficult days produce stronger people. I believe he wants that for you and for me. So whether it's a diagnosis or dealing with the spouse that walks out or the overwhelming emotional journey of infertility or the diagnosis that you receive, whatever that is, just know that he still cares, that he is good, that he loves you, and that you can trust him. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that you would not perish, but have everlasting life, even though you've experienced suffering in this prodigal world. I'll close by addressing three specific people. First, maybe you're here today and you're walking through that incredibly difficult suffering. It's overwhelming. Nobody else understands it because nobody else is living in it like you are. Can I just, can I just encourage you today? Can I just plead with you today? Don't give up because you'll never know if you're on the doorstep of the good work that he wants to do in your life tomorrow. I'm not promising that because I don't know that, but don't get to a place where you begin to draw conclusions that God is not good and that he does not care about you because he does. You and I just don't have the ability or the capacity to know enough to understand the reasons. And just because you and I can't think of a reason why God would allow something doesn't mean there's not a reason. Don't give up. That's why you have this, a community of faith. Stand with you when you can't stand on your own. The second group of people, maybe you're here and you're walking closely with somebody who is walking through a significant ordeal, a season, a time of suffering. Can I just encourage you? Don't become the preacher in their life. They don't need you spouting Bible verses all day long, every day to them in their suffering. If you do that, you're probably gonna find yourself further apart from them. There's value in sharing those things when they're asked and they're requested for in those moments. But if that's our focus, then we're missing out on the opportunity to love one another. Sometimes the most powerful, most helpful thing you can do in those moments of grief and sorrow and pain is just to sit with them, to be with them, to weep when they weep, to grieve when they grieve, to mourn when they mourn. That's what it looks like to love one another. And then the third group of people. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never for yourself decided, Jesus, I trust you. And I give you control of my life. You've never been there. And you hear me talking today and you're like, man, that's a, I, I, I appreciate this message, Wes. I appreciate the, uh, the hope and the comfort and the freedom that you are sharing today, that sounds good. I think I want that. But listen and hear me clearly. 
that message of hope and freedom and breakthrough from the suffering, that him making all things work out for good does not apply to you if you are not in Christ. And you're like, Wes, that's kind of harsh. I don't know that I like that very much. That's pretty exclusive. Maybe that disappoints you to hear me say that, but listen, I would rather you hate me and hear the truth than you like me and me tell you the half-truths that have eternal implications on your life. Maybe today, that's where you are, and God is saying, will you trust me? Will you cross that line of faith? Will you trust in Jesus? And for the first time, accept what he did on your behalf when he suffered so that you could be free? so that you could have life, so that God could work and create in you not just a better version of you, but ultimately, eternally, the best version of you. It happens when you step into that relationship with Jesus. And it's not a promise that life's going to be easy, but it's a promise that suffering won't last forever. Close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and just in the last moment, you listen to what I said, and you're in that place where you've never trusted Jesus on your own. You've never made him the ultimate in your life. And now for two weeks, you've listened to similar messages from Mark and Laura last week talking about Lazarus, and today listening to the story of the blind man, and Jesus is pulling at you saying, would you just trust me? Would you stop trying to navigate this on your own? Would you stop dismissing that I just don't care? I care deeply. Maybe right now in this moment, he's calling you out. He's saying, just trust me. And you feel it, you know it. And I just encourage you, maybe give you that last little nudge to step across that line and say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Just tell him that. Say, Jesus, I let you call the shots from this point forward. I know that means you, you maybe don't understand what all the, the, the life ahead of you looks like, but just out right now in this moment, ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, show me how to live. Show me your ways. I trust you. Thank him for suffering in your place, in our place. God, I thank you for who you are. I do thank you that you're good. I thank you that your love is strong for us, that you care deeply for us, and that you came after us. Even though we turned our backs on you and rebelled and chose to live for ourselves, thinking that we could do this all on our own. God, I pray right now for anyone in the room who is on the fence, maybe one foot in, one foot out, not sure they want to trust you, would you continue to just stir in their minds who you are so that they would trust you? God, I pray specifically for my friends here today that are listening, that are watching online, that are walking through an incredibly difficult time of suffering. God, in that suffering, would you be so real to them that they can't miss you they can't dismiss your goodness, your love. God, I pray that they would find answers to their questions. And when they can't find the exact answers, but they find your peace there. God, I pray for miracles. I pray for your work in our lives, especially where we're suffering. Do what only you can do with your will be done in us, and would your kingdom be expanded through us? Would what's happened here today not stay here, but would it go and continue to shape who you want us to be? We trust you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.